0: where we will explore the dark corners of our world the weird, the creepy, and the strange I'm your host, Eric Carrier My co-host is Jessica Carrier Thank you for joining us for our journey into the unknown Let's get started with today's show The podcast. My name is Eric Carrier. I am your host. I'm here with Jessica Carrier, my co host. Hey guys. This is the Prairie Land Paranormal podcast, and uh, this is episode number two. What are we going to be talking about today, Jessica?
1: We're going to be talking about Thunderbirds.
0: Thunderbirds are um, pretty regional to where we live. Central Illinois is uh, definitely a uh, hot spot. The two major Thunderbird clusters uh, that have been noted uh, both occurred here in central illinois we're going to be talking to you a little bit today about some of the uh, local and uh, regional native american lore uh, that's associated with thunderbirds we're also going to be talking about some uh, witness accounts and and uh, we'll talk a little bit about uh, what we think they might be
1: i've been thinking about thunderbirds lately and i've been thinking about large birds you know you, there's huge birds out there you've got like pelicans and storks but When you think about large birds and then you think about them being predatory birds, it's a very scary thought.
0: Yeah, I don't think there's anything comforting about a uh, large predatory bird. No. So, you know, Illinois and uh, much of the Midwest has long been rumored to be home to a uh, particularly large group of birds. These birds have been uh, termed thunderbirds. Rumors of these large birds have been around for a very long time and go back at least as far as the uh, early Native American populations. The early Native populations of Illinois were certainly no strangers to these birds. Two giant uh, petroglyphs of these birds once decorated the limestone bluffs of the Mississippi River near Alton, Illinois. These petroglyphs are believed to have been created by the Cahokia. The Cahokia was a large advanced civilization of Native American mound builders, they primarily lived on the banks of the Mississippi River until their civilization started to disappear about the 13th century. The largest North American earth mound was built by the Cahokia, and it still stands today uh, just outside of St. Louis, Missouri.
1: We went there not too long ago, and it was a pretty interesting sight to go see.
0: Yeah, definitely an interesting sight. The uh, mound that is there is uh, massive.
1: Sometimes I wonder why they built those mounds.
0: Well, according to the uh, museum and site that's there, they uh, likely built these mounds as a uh, form of worship or uh, some sort of a uh, temple.
1: That makes sense.
0: We've had an opportunity to visit some of the mounds in other parts of the Midwest here. One of those mounds is just outside of uh, Evansville, Indiana, called Angel Mounds. These mound sites uh, all over the Midwest are uh, very interesting and certainly worth a trip or a visit. The folklore of the uh, Cahokia is uh, filled with uh, many fantastic creatures and several large petroglyphs of uh, serpents and dragons and monstrous birds have been found dotting the cliffs of the Mississippi River around Alton, Illinois. It is believed that these petroglyphs served a religious purpose and uh, also served as uh, a warning for travelers and enemies as they were uh, entering into the uh, Cahokia territory. The uh, most famous of these petroglyphs is uh, known as the uh, Piasa, which translates to the bird that devours men. That doesn't sound that ominous at lovely. all. That <laughs> <It> doesn't sound <laughs> ominous at all, does it? This is a massive uh, petroglyph, and it's etched into the limestone cliffs just outside of Elton, Illinois. There was a uh, early explorer uh, in this area who was a Jesuit missionary. His name is Pierre Marquette. And uh, he described these petroglyphs in uh, his journal in uh, 1673 as he was exploring this area.
1: Here's an excerpt from his journal. We saw upon one of them two painted monsters, which at first made us afraid, and upon which the boldest savage dared not long to rest their eyes. They were as large as a calf. They had horns on their heads like those of a deer, a horrible look, red eyes, a beard like a tiger's, a face somewhat like a man's, a body covered with scales and so long a tail that it winds around the body, passing above the head and going back between the legs, ending in a fish's tail. That's quite a combination of animals, there.
0: It is. And it uh, actually, you know, if you uh, see the petroglyph or a drawing of the petroglyph, it uh, looks like very much like a, uh, a hybrid reptilian type of uh, dragon or bird.
1: Yeah. It is very unusual.
0: The uh, Cahokia tribe called these birds thunderbirds, uh, and they called them that because of the sound that they made when they were flapping their giant wings. It's uh, been said that uh, the flap of their wings made the ground reverberate. These birds were considered to be highly intelligent. Many of the tales of the plains Native Americans talk about these creatures alternating between preying on and oftentimes helping the tribe in some way. According to a story that was published by John Russell, the creature depicted on the petroglyphs was a a huge bird that lived in the cliffs. Russell claimed that this creature attacked and devoured people in nearby Indian villages, and these birds often showed up after war to feast on the corpses. In fact, it probably was the war and the corpses that uh, gave the birds a taste for human flesh. Legend has it that a uh, local Indian chief by the name of Owatoga managed to slay the uh, monster using a plan that was given to him in a dream by the Great Spirit. Jessica, you did some research on uh, Oatoga. Can you uh, share that?
1: Yeah, Oatoga, he seems like a very spiritual man. He had spent time fasting and praying before he had this dream from the Great Spirit. And the Great Spirit basically showed him how to take down the monster. It showed him that there was a special place under the wings where there were no scales and that if their brave shot arrows at one spot, then they would be able to take down this, this beast. So Oatoga gathered some of his bravest men and they went to confront the creature. Oatoga stood outside of the cave and he banged a drum to try to get the creature's attention while his men hid. And when the monster presented itself, they shot him under the wing, as he'd been shown in the dream, with poison arrows, and they were able to take him down.
0: Russell uh, claimed that uh, the mural that was painted by the Indians uh, was painted as a commemoration of this heroic event. The Thunderbird figure is uh, not only prominent in the Cahokia, it is also prominent through uh, many of the other Plains tribes as well. This includes the Lakota. Uh, The Lakota believe that the uh, birds... Embodied the supreme being and that the creature actually helped to create all of the living things here on earth the uh, Algonquin Believe that the Thunderbirds control the upper world While the underworld is controlled by the underwater panther or the great horned serpent The Thunderbirds protect mankind by throwing lightning at the underworld creatures keeping them at bay other Algonquin legends teach that the Thunderbirds are ancestors to the human race and played an important role in the creation of the universe.
1: The Menominee of northern Wisconsin have a legend that tells of a great mountain that floats in the western sky. The Thunderbirds dwell there and control the rain. They love a good fight, and they revel in deeds of greatness. They are sworn enemies to the great horn snake and fight to prevent these underworld creatures from overrunning the earth and devouring mankind. They are believed to be messengers of the great sun himself.
0: There are also legends among the Ojibwe. These legends speak of the Thunderbirds being created for the purpose of fighting the underwater spirits. They also believe that humans could be punished by the Thunderbirds for breaking moral rules. The Thunderbirds were believed to have lived in the four directions and were known to arrive with the other birds in the springtime, which was considered to be the season of the underwater spirits, and uh, migrate south after the end of that season.
1: The Winnebago believed that the thunderbirds could grant humans with great abilities, and the man who fasted and received a vision of a thunderbird would become a war chief.
0: There's also legends among the Sioux. Uh, the Sioux believe that, uh, like the many other tribes, that uh, the thunderbirds uh, play a role in protecting mankind, uh, particularly from dangerous reptilian underworld creatures. It's uh, clear from these stories that the uh, Plains tribes both respected and uh, feared the uh, Thunderbird. I find it interesting, as uh, we've kind of read all those stories, that they're all very similar, that they uh, all talk about uh, the Thunderbirds uh, protecting mankind from these uh, great horn snakes or these under underwater spirits or underworld spirits.
1: We've already talked a little bit about how the idea of a Thunderbird is scary, but when you think about them this way, as protectors, I kind of like that. A little bit better. I'd rather have a big scary bird as my protector looking out for me than than to think of them as trying to devour me.
0: Yeah, that's certainly a more comforting thought.
1: But then I wonder what, what exactly are the reptiles they're talking about that are constantly trying to devour us from below.
0: Yeah, that's not a comforting thought at <laughs> all. <laughs> so we go from comforting to not comforting. <laughs> so Illinois has uh, actually uh, been host to uh, at least a couple of clusters of sightings of Thunderbirds. Uh, the first cluster of sightings uh, was in uh, 1948 and uh, started on uh, April 4th. There was a uh, Army colonel that, by the name of Walter F. Sigmund who reported that he had seen a gigantic bird in the sky above Alton. This was his report. I thought there was something wrong with my eyesight, he said but it was definitely a bird and not a glider or a jet plane. It appeared to be flying northeast. From the movements of the object and its size, I figured it could only be a bird of tremendous size. A few days later, a farmer named Robert Price from Caledonia would report a similar bird. He called it a monster bird, bigger than a plane. On April 10th, another sighting occurred in Overland. The huge bird was spotted by Mr. and Mrs. Clyde Smith and Les Bacon. They said they thought the creature was a plane until it started to flap its wings furiously.
1: On April 24th, the bird was back in Alton. It was sighted by E.M. Coleman and his son James. It was an enormous, incredible thing with body that looked like a naval torpedo. Coleman recalled later, It was flying at about 500 feet and cast a shadow the same size as a piper cub at that height. Okay, what is a piper cub?
0: A Piper Cub is a uh, single propeller bush plane. It's a small plane, but uh, certainly big for a bird. Yes, that would
1: be very scary.
0: On uh, May 5th, the bird was uh, spotted again in Alton. A man by the name of Arthur Davidson called the police that evening to report a bird flying above the city. Later on that same night, Mrs. William Stallings of St. Louis informed the authorities that she had also seen it. She described that it was bright, bright and about the size of a house. Sightings continued for several days in the St. Louis area, but then just as quickly as the sightings started, they ended. And no one really knows why the sightings ended at that time. And then over 20 years later, starting in the 1970s, sightings started to uh, appear again. The first account of the uh, 1970s uh, occurred in 1973 by Joni Graw. She recorded this account from Pike County. She stated,
1: I was walking down towards Kaiser Creek. It was a beautiful summer day. I would guess mid to late July. The beans were up in the fields. I had to walk up this hill, and at the top of the hill was a pond, a beautiful, really secluded area. Adjacent to the hill is a holler, surrounded by trees. When I was nearing the hill, I heard this trumpet-like screech. It was so strange, unlike anything I'd ever heard before. And then I saw them. There were three of them, two big ones and a little one. I say little, but there is nothing little about it. They were the biggest, most frightening birds I'd ever seen. The big ones were literally as big as a person standing there. Not thin like a stork, but huge. Thick as a person. They looked prehistoric. They were all gray-colored, wrinkly-skinned, and matted. Their beaks were not ridiculously long, not like a heron's, and somewhat hooked. Their heads were feathered, not bald like a buzzard. The two big ones were smart enough to roost on the ground, but the little one, the child, I assume, seemed more naive. It tried to perch on a tree. This tree was a thin tree, but it had to be 40 feet tall. The tree buckled, completely bent, under the little bird's weight. I dropped to the ground, just shaking in fear, and tried to hide in the beans. I guess it worked, because they didn't act like they saw me. The big ones started flapping their wings, and the earth was literally reverberating from it. The beans were waving. The wingspan must have been at least 12 feet. I just started praying. Oh my God, protect me.
0: Graw remained in the beans for several minutes until the three creatures departed. Graw then ran half a mile home in shock and terror from what she had just witnessed. Another cluster began in 1977, with perhaps the most well-known encounter occurring in Lawndale, Illinois, The Marlin-Lowe encounter occurred on uh, July 25, 1977, and it occurred at about 8.10 in the evening. The Lowe's had just finished dinner, and Ruth Lowe was in the kitchen cleaning up when she heard the sound of children screaming outside. One of the screams she recognized as her 10-year-old son Marlin. Marlin had been playing outside with two other neighborhood boys. When she ran outside to see what all the screaming was about, she was stunned to see two massive birds chasing the children. The largest of the two swooped and pecked at her son. Ruth ran to Marlin's aid, but as she did, the larger of the two birds sunk its claws into Marlin's shirt and fully lifted the fifty-six pound boy off the ground. Marlin struck at the bird's legs with his free arm, and the bird eventually dropped him to the ground, but not before carrying him at least three feet off the ground for at least thirty-five feet. Several neighbors had come to the aid of Ruth and the boys. And after the incident had concluded, Ruth and the neighbors watched as the birds flew off towards Kickapoo Creek. In her statement to the police, Ruth described the bird as such.
1: It had a white ring around its half-foot-long neck. The rest of the body was very black. The bird's bill was six inches in length and hooked at the end. The claws on the feet were arranged with three front, one in the back. Each wing, less the body, was four feet at the very least. The entire length of the bird's body from beak to tail feather was approximately four and one half feet.
0: The other witnesses described the bird as black in color with bands of white around their necks. They had long curved beaks and a wingspan of at least 10 feet. Even though several neighbors saw what had happened, Ruth and Marlin Lowe's story was met with quite a bit of skepticism and even to some degree ridicule. As the story circulated around the local press, Marlin quickly became known locally as the bird boy, and dead pigeons were often tossed onto the Lowe's front porch.
1: Why do people do that?
0: I don't know. Uh, Maybe if they make it something funny or something to joke about, uh, then it doesn't uh, quite seem so real.
1: That would be terrifying if it was real.
0: Many local people, including a game warden, tried to convince everyone that the birds were nothing more than turkey vultures. But after much research, Ruth Lowe believed that the bird was actually an Andean condor.
1: We've seen turkey vultures. They're all around here. They are pretty big, but they are nothing compared to what Ruth described.
0: They're certainly not big enough to uh, pick up a 56 pound child and carry it away f- for several feet. Exactly. Sightings died off for a few days after that encounter, but then started up again. Uh, about three days later, in McLean County, when a farmer spotted a bird of the same size and description flying over his farm, he and his wife and several friends were watching radio-controlled airplanes. When the bird flew close to the models, he claimed the bird had a wingspan of at least ten feet, and it dwarfed the small planes that buzzed close to it.
1: The next sighting took place near Bloomington, when a mail truck driver named James Majors spotted two birds. He was driving when he saw them alongside the highway. One of the birds dropped down into a field and snatched up a small animal. He believed the two birds were probably condors with eight to ten-foot wingspans.
0: On July 28th, Lisa Montgomery of Tremont was washing her car when she looked up and saw a giant bird crossing the sky overhead. I'm pretty sure she's glad that the bird didn't uh, do any uh, damage to her freshly washed car. (laughs) (laughs) There was another report late at night on July 30th from Dennis Turner. He and several friends from Downs reported a monstrous bird perched on a telephone pole. Turner stated that the bird dropped something near the base of the pole. Later that night, when police officers investigated the sighting, they found a huge rat near that spot.
1: Reports of giant birds continued to come in from Bloomington and north central Illinois area. Then finally further south, in Decatur, Macon, and Sullivan. On July 30, at the same day that the birds were reported near Bloomington, A writer and construction worker named Texas John Huffer filmed two large birds while fishing at Lake Shelbyville. Huffer frightened the birds with his boat horn, and when they took flight, he managed to capture them on video. Huffer said that the largest bird had a wingspan of over 12 feet. After the footage aired on local news, experts were quick to dismiss Huffer's video. Officials from the Department of Conservation insisted the birds were merely turkey vultures. Not surprisingly, these claims were refuted by wildlife experts and cryptozoologists who stated that no turkey vultures were of the size reported by witnesses.
0: Hoepner's uh, videos are available on YouTube if you'd like to take a look at those. Uh, I've seen those videos, and uh, while it definitely shows two large birds, the video is shot in a way that uh, does not really allow for a true scale to be determined, and it's very, very difficult to determine the actual size of these birds. So while reports still trickle in from time to time, this was the last of the last large sightings or clusters of uh, Thunderbird sightings here in uh, Illinois and in the Midwest. So no one's been able to positively identify these birds, but there are certainly some theories as to what these birds might be.
1: This is where we've kind of had some fun thinking about what they could be and looking into other people's theories of what they possibly are.
0: One of the theories is that they may be what are called teratons. Some uh, cryptozoological researchers, such as Lauren Coleman, believes that these thunderbirds may be teratons. Teratons are a supposedly extinct bird that once roamed North and South America. If these prehistoric survivors are still around today, they could certainly account for the reports of the uh, giant birds. The overall description, uh, with the the white ring, uh, the hooked beak, Is certainly common to many of the birds in the uh, vulture family, including the turkey vulture and uh, many of the uh, condor family.
1: Illinois and the Midwest is certainly known to have a significant population of turkey vultures. These are large birds that look a lot like what the witnesses described. They're actually large enough to have pegged marlin as an easy meal, but they're generally known as scavengers and usually don't hunt live prey.
0: You might remember turkey vultures from the old animated Disney Jungle Book, where they sat on the old decrepit tree going, what do you want to do? I don't know. What do you want to do? I don't know. What do you want (laughs) to (laughs) do? In true life, they're probably not that dumb. The uh, most likely culprit that I would think is probably condors. Their birds could have uh, theoretically also been strayed condors. In the case of Marlon Lowe, he and his parents said that the bird closely resembled an Andean condor a black vulture-like species with a wingspan of uh, around 10 feet. This species, however, is not native to North America. There is a smaller version called the California condor, which was uh, widely known to live across North America, but in 1977, uh, this species was uh, virtually extinct and only found in uh, a specific part of California. In uh, either case, the uh, structure of condor's feet are really incapable of uh, lifting and transporting anything as heavy as a a 10-year-old boy. So at this point, the true identity of the Thunderbird is still quite a bit of a mystery. We have uh, early Native American lore that describes it more like a dragon with scales and wings and horns and a tail. And we have witness reports that describe it as a large bird that is uh, currently unclassified. Is it possible... For a large bird to still live in this world and still be considered unclassified or undiscovered, I totally think that that is possible. This world is uh, much bigger than we think, and there are places within this world that have uh, not been explored as much as we think that they have. So yes, I think that it is totally possible that we have undiscovered creatures that might still surprise us someday. So as you're traveling the Midwest, uh, if you're traveling Illinois, make sure that you keep your eyes to the sky, and you might just be surprised at what you find, because there still are sightings that are occurring today, even though they're trickling in fewer and fewer. Jessica, what do you think?
1: I think it's kind of uh, arrogant for us to consider that we've seen everything. I think it's important to keep an open mind.
0: I totally agree with that. Well, folks, uh, I think we'll end the uh, podcast here. We appreciate you joining us. All right, uh, folks, that's the end of this you. episode. Yeah, thank you, thank you, you for joining us. We appreciate you listening. If you have enjoyed the show, please consider subscribing. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. And remember, if you've had a paranormal experience that you would like to share, please email us at prairielandparanormalpodcast at gmail.com or visit our website at fairylandparanormalpodcast.com. So until next time... Remember, don't be normal when you can be paranormal.